morning, everybody. Welcome back to another Friday edition of To The Point Podcast. So everybody's doing well. Um, it's, you know, it's a beautiful, another beautiful sunny, uh, sunny morning here in, uh, here in Rexton, New Brunswick and, you know, uh, getting excited for another weekend, but I'm sure there's a lot of faces that are a little, a little droopy this morning, especially if you're a Toronto Maple Leaf fan, um, after rallying from a three, one deficit thinking we got this one in the bag. Like I know most uh, Leafs fans did last night in the, in the, before the overtime period. And then the game's over before you even sit down with your, uh, bag of popcorn. So uh, an interesting game last night. Uh, I think a lot of takeaways for me, uh, big picture and, um, you know, just in, for next game, just uh, different storylines heading into it. But we're going to get into all of it today. Um, we're going to talk game seven, Minnesota, Vegas tonight. Um, game, game, you never know, game seven. Vegas is a better team than Minnesota, but Minnesota's won the last two games. Now I'm, I'm the type of person that doesn't believe that there's momentum game to game because I've seen teams come back from three Oh deficits. They get to game seven and they lose. They had all the momentum going in just odds and numbers tell you that momentum from game to game. It's not, it's a hoax. It's, 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 it's fraudulent. Maybe Montreal fans will be hoping for a little in-game momentum heading into game six with the 2,500 fans, uh, in the building, but we'll go, we'll get into all that today. We're also going to talk about Carolina winning last. I thought Nashville would win at home and they almost did, but we're going to talk about clutch players today as well. And sometimes it's not the best player. It's just a clutch player. And we'll go into, I'm going to use different sports, use some analogies um, when it comes to maybe he's not the best player in the league, but when you get him in the playoffs and it's a big moment, give him the ball. And we'll get into that today. So we'll start with <laughs> Toronto, Montreal. And it it's the game obviously started terribly if you're a Toronto Maple Leaf fan, where last night was a rough night for a few guys for Toronto. Obviously, there's I'll mention the guy in the overtime, but I gotta look at Rasmus Sandin. He had his worst game as a pro last night. And it's going to happen. Um, you know, he's, he'll battle back from it, but he was benched. He didn't play the last uh, 15 minutes of the second period. Didn't play much of the third. And obviously it was only one shift in overtime. So, but I'm not sure he would have played there, but two different goals were directly his fault. And I don't really think it's the first play. It's a tough break. He's got the puck. He's moving along the boards. Uh, I was just coming home from work. So I saw this as a replay, just a, just for context, but I saw the play and Corey Perry, he's a guy who finishes hits. He hits hard. Sandine, I was looking back, looking at the play, I've watched it six, seven times. He could have made a better play if he took a hit. Now he did. And sometimes you get away with that. Unfortunately, this time he did. Carey Price was going to lay a hit on him. Yoel Armia is in the vicinity. He picks up the puck, um, gives it to Perry. Perry's back to him in the slot. He beats Jack Campbell with glove, one nothing. Second goal is another one that's just a chaos around the net. This one, Sandy was not in the ice, was not directly his fault, but nevertheless, it's uh, it's a, it's in and around the net and it goes in. So then there's a lull. You get the first intermission. You get um, you know Toronto uh, starting to you see uh, Matthew score a goal, and then Cockneyemi scores. But on this play, Sandine's got the puck again, and he gets beaten, you know, just physically. He gets the puck stolen from him. It's in front of that another pandemonium-type play, and Montreal gets another garbage goal. However, Montreal has not scored in this series. And if they're going to get back into it, this is how they're going to do it, creating turnovers, getting the puck to the dirty areas, because they don't have an elite talent. Their, their best goal scorer no joke, is Cole Caulfield. And he's a rookie. And he's green. And, you know, he can, I, you know, I've already heard the narrative, well, this kid's too small. He'll never make it. Okay. Um, Mitch Marner was small. And he was a pretty good player. Now he makes $10.5 million. Uh, but he, he, he's, their most, he's their most gifted. He's got the best shot in their team other than Shea Weber when it comes. But just a pure wrist shot, it's Cole Caulfield or bust. And... 
you look at the goal again, they're all garbage. Armia scores twice. Kakaniemi pokes one past Jack Campbell. This is how Montreal is going to get back in it. And they need to create turnovers and they can do that. Last night, the past number of games, Montreal has led the game in hits. And sometimes that's a positive stat or a negative stat. When it's a game and you see it, Toronto, a four, nothing win in game four and Montreal will hit them 40 to 14. That's a bad stat because that means that they're hitting Toronto because Toronto has the puck the whole game. If you can look at hits and say last night, Montreal hits were more effective because they all led to turnovers, which led to goals. That's a positive statistic saying, you know, our hits last night, they were effective because it led to positive influence in our game. And so it just depends. You got to look at, that's the difference. You can't just look at a box score and you know, you can look at an NBA box score and LeBron James might put up 55, which he did in game one of the 2017 NBA finals. However, he lost the Golden State Warriors in overtime. So that stat line, a great game. Third most posts in the third most points in the history of an NBA finals game. But what did it mean in the grand scheme? Empty calories. Didn't mean anything because they didn't win the game. So that's the difference between looking at a box score and watching the game intently, saying, the hit, yeah, oh, great. You know, we threw 65 hits. But how impactful were those hits? Did they lead to positive impact? I think you can also see uh, last night with Montreal's hitting, certain D are getting a little fed up on Toronto. I look at TJ Brody. He took a stupid penalty because he's tired of getting hit. It's working. He took another penalty in game four, which is uncharacteristic where he's, he doesn't like getting hit. Matthews and, and Gallagher last night. Matthews starting to show some frustration. I'll get into that another reason, because he's been a no-show. But um, so that happens. And then you know, Toronto's down 3-1 heading into the third. I They had momentum at the end of the second period, but that was their best period. So looking at this series, Montreal really outplayed them in the third period. You could say it's even a few nights, but game three, I mean, it was all Montreal in the third period. Game four, Montreal was flat. But Toronto had their normal second period in the third period last night where they were flying. And, you know, William Nylander, you know, Daryl, Alex Galchenyuk, he was playing well. I thought Kerfoot, I don't really like it. I don't, I don't like him as a player, but I got to give him credit. He's had a really good series. I think he whines a lot when he gets hit, but you know, Gallagher does that. So I'm sure that's something a Leaf fan would throw back at me in that scenario. But um, nevertheless, he's, he's played well. I got to give him his flowers. Uh, I think he's, his regular season was below adequate, but he's uh, brought it in this postseason, and he he he's um, he, he's played well. So in in the third, they get a power play. Toronto doesn't score on it because it's not very good. Uh, but just after the after the power play, they still have some zone time. They get the puck back to Jake Muzzin. He gets a shot from the point. They get a number of bodies in front of Carey Price off the post and in three two. Then with about seven minutes remaining. We see Gauchenyuk's got the puck. He throws the puck towards the net. Jake Muzzin is streaking in. It hits his stick and goes through the legs of Carey Price. Price thought he made the save, clearly snuck through him, and we're tied at three with Jake Muzzin scoring two goals in the third period. The guy's not offensively gifted. That's not what he's here for. He's a shutdown defenseman. But comes up big for Toronto. It's a pair of goals. And it was at this point where I thought, you know, Toronto's going to win this game. This, this is big for them. They come back. You know, they should they should win tonight after Montreal's lackluster performance. They're a better team than Montreal. And good teams close out their opponent when they got them. You, st- you put your skate on the jugular and you finish it. So I said, Toronto's going to win this game. And they nearly did. But 5.25 left, Marner had a great look in Carey Price. Price, unbelievable save. And Price stopped Nylander with about two minutes left. And we're going overtime. And it's at this point in this series, to, to this point, Galchenyuk's been fantastic. Uh, when he's uh, when he's played, I think he's played really well. You know, this is this is where he's getting media claim, you know, uh, just some acknowledgement that he actually deserves. In the regular season, he was getting flowers for getting one goal in 16 games. And he was getting, well, he works really hard. It's the NHL. You should work hard. Uh, and that, that was my frustration with a guy that produced nothing 
But no, let's prop him up some more. But you know what? That's Lee's prerogative, and they'll continue to do it. So kudos to Alex Galchenyuk. It's not his fault he's getting all this claim. Sportsnet, TSN, they can look themselves in the mirror. But everything positive for this guy. <laughs> 59 seconds into overtime, the game ends. But it's his play where Galchenyuk's at the re- at the uh, Montreal blue line. And he throws this no-look pass. He does a spinorama basically pass looking for, I believe it was Muzzin on the other side, but who stepped in front of it was Cole Caulfield. He streaks with the puck. You got Caulfield and Suzuki on a 2 on 0 We see Suzuki pass to Caulfield. They do it a couple times. Then Suzuki back to Caulfield, beats him stick side. And Montreal Canadiens win the game 4-3 in overtime, force game six Saturday night back at the Bell Center. And this was the GOAT moment, not, you know, Michael Jordan, the GOAT, the lowercase GOAT, meaning the scapegoat of this game is Alex Galchenyuk. Everything positive you did, and I actually think he had, he had a decent game, is gone because you cost the team the game. And that's not conjecture. That's not uh, innuendo. That's just a fact. You did. Uh, and it was a stupid play. And you know, it's this type of play that tells you why this guy's on his seventh team in nine years. Is this a stupid play? You're forcing something that didn't need to be forced. You had all the momentum of the game. Montreal, I mentioned, they don't have game breakers. Caulfield is a rookie. He's their biggest game breaker. You have all the momentum. William Nylander playing fantastic. You're in overtime. Just sip through it. You're going to win the game. They don't. And Montreal, to their credit, capitalized. 2-0, and they they don't uh, waste their opportunity. 59 seconds in overtime, the game's over. And so big picture. I give Toronto credit for coming back, obviously, and from 3-1 down and making it a game. You know, that, that takes a lot of perseverance. That takes a lot of fervor. However, don't get down 3 nothing to Montreal. You're, you're, in a, you're in a game where you can clinch a series against a team that had zero confidence, and you gave them some. And you should, they should have won the series last night. It should have been over. You're preparing for Winnipeg but you mess around and there's something too also about long periods is a stretch of time where you, a team has little to no success. And you might say, well, Noah, the Toronto Maple Leafs, their team has changed over the years. Okay. The Chicago Cubs went over a hundred years, 108 to be exact without winning a world series. They got to NL championship games. They got to world series. Different iterations of teams, generations, yet they couldn't get over that hump. They couldn't break the curse. Why? I mean, it's a different player. It's a different team. It doesn't matter. It's that same stigma. You need to to get up that mountain. You need to do what the past people couldn't, and it still lingers. Now, that doesn't mean that Toronto's going to lose the series. They're going to win it. But I'm just saying, to get over it, I think in the back of their mind, to start this game, Toronto played nervous. They didn't come up with the same fervor that we normally see. And it showed. Because they let Montreal physically dominate them. Now, will they break the curse? I believe they will. Saturday night, maybe it's more fitting that they do it in Montreal so that Leafs fans can mention their... can message their Montreal buddy and rub it in saying, we want it in your building, whatever, in front of 2,500 fans, which will sure make lots of noise. But it there's something to long stretches. Chicago Blackhawks, when they won the Cup in 2010, it was over 50 years. The, the exuberance, the just the sigh of relief, if you can remember how long it took them to do that, that, that meant something. The Buffalo Bills, in a smaller extent, just making the playoffs. The Cleveland Browns making the playoffs, winning a playoff game, that's a, that was a big deal. For Toronto, winning a playoff series, and maybe Toronto Maple Leaf fans will disagree with me. You can let me know in the comments. But winning a playoff round is like winning a Stanley Cup. 
because unless, if you're if you're not over the age of 53 and so you're one when you remembered it, it, it unless you're you know in your 60s you, you remember them winning the the cops 60 plus you have no recollection of what it's like to see a team win a Stanley Cup or if you're a young you know I was born in 98 I was in 99 when when, when the Leafs were a good team I was one. I didn't know what hockey was. In 02, I, I remember a little bit more. The first real memory I have is 2004 when Jeremy Roenick scored the game winner against the Maple Leafs uh, in the second round. Since then, they haven't won a playoff game. That means something. And most of these guys are my age on this Toronto team, other than you know Jumbo and all the, the geezers. But another thing to take out, for all the people that hated William Nylander and wanted him traded and, oh, he sucks. He gives you no, he's been there. You cannot say we need to trade William Nylander. He takes up too much of our cap and then go on Twitter and say, how oh, great he is. No, you're a hypocrite. You can't love him after you hated him. No, I, I don't accept that. And I'm not even saying people in my, I just find Twitter you know, after you see after playoff series last year, oh, William Nylander sucks, and this this guy can't play, and his effort stinks. He's been their best forward in this series, and it hasn't even been close. Like their second best forward's been like Kerfoot. What I'm, I, I I'm gonna call it MIA, missing in action. Can we get a game where Mitch Marner shows up? Because I haven't seen one yet. Austin Matthews, where are you at? Could you? Game two was like a week ago. Could you play a game where you did something, do something productive? That'd be nice. I'm sure, Leafs fans would enjoy that. Just think, the Leafs are going to Game six with Montreal. You're lucky you're playing Montreal, who can't score, because your depth has been carrying you, and your defense scoring. Sandine Muzzin with a pair, uh, Riley scoring a goal. If it, if it was up to Stars in this series, it seriously would be bleeping over. Tampa Bay Stars score goals. They get depth scoring. But Kucherov, Point, Plot, their first round, they showed up. McKinnon had nine points. Matthews and Marner. Matthews, regarded as one of the best players in the NHL, which he is. Where are you? Where are you? This isn't your first playoffs. I expected more. And I think Lee Svan should too. Yes, of course. Pick on... There's always one guy you got to pick on. Like I said, normally it's Nylander. Gardner's not there anymore. So Leafs fans will pick Mitch Marner to pick on, which is fair. Because he's, you know, he held out and he wanted money, which who doesn't want money in this world? Um, if you can make $10.5 million, why wouldn't you? So and anybody, I think everybody who complains about that is a hypocrite. Uh, but where's Austin Matthews too? His line mate's, Matthews has been just as bad as Marner. Games three, four, five, has he been? Did he dress? I couldn't tell. Game six, these two guys, this is your game. Finish it. Do not go back for game seven. Toronto Maple Leafs, and one thing we do know, with this core, this isn't 2004, this isn't 99, 93, these players, with the nucleus that you have, of Marner, Matthews, Nylander, Riley. I don't care if it's Jack Camp. I don't give a shit who the goalie is. This team fails in game sevens. That we have tons of evidence. Game five of Columbus, I count that as game seven because this is what's winner go home. Two against Boston, they lost them. I don't, if you're a Leaf fan, you did not want that scenario because this team will grip the sticks. We've seen it happen before. And if it goes to a game seven, I'll say it right now. Montreal wins. If Montreal wins Saturday night, they will win this series. Game seven in Toronto. I don't care if there's no fans. I got Montreal. If it goes seven, I I, I predicted Toronto. I think I predicted Toronto in six. I might've said Toronto in five. I'm pretty sure I said six though. Um, so, I think I'll be right. I think Toronto will win Saturday night. But if, if Toronto loses Saturday night, they will lose this series. Monday in Toronto, 
Montreal will come back from 3-1 down and beat the Toronto Maple Leafs. But this is on your big boys got to show up in playoff time. You know, it, it's been harped on for this whole week. I, I talked about yesterday, Sidney Crosby wasn't that great in the playoffs this year. Alex Ovechkin was fair, not great. Connor McDavid was le- was not his normal self, was not that great. Three stars. Matthews, right up there with them. He hasn't been great in this series either. Where, where is he? And it can't all just be role players all the time. You need a big goal sometimes and just... Come out aggressive. Come out like you played in game two because that's the only good game he played in this series. And we need to see that from, from Matthews and Marner Saturday night because I for too many shifts, Matthews has drifted back into the player that I, I said, this is why he's not a top player in the game, doing his little drive-bys and the C-cuts and not throwing hits. And now he's getting involved with Gallagher. And, you know, people uh, here, you know, fans of Toronto that I'm related to last night, Oh, why wasn't there a penalty there? Uh, Gallagher knocked down Matthews. Matthews is six, whatever, 220 pounds. Gallagher knocked him down. Get new skates. Uh, but it's big game Saturday night. And to their credit, Montreal nearly blew it, but they hung on, hung on and won. Now, I will, like I said, I think Toronto will win Saturday night, but they need their players to step up. Jack Campbell's played great. Last night was not on him. Um, and, you know, for Alex Galchenyuk, shake it off. You've had a good series. Don't let this one fret, but don't do any of those stupid plays. It, they're unnecessary. Just just play your game, and hopefully good things will happen because he's, he's had a good run here in Toronto, and that's the one, you know, black mark other than one goal in 16 games that nobody will touch on but me. <laughs> There's also... Another game last night. I know it's hard to believe because I know a lot of TVs must have shut off after the uh, Toronto-Montreal game w- was over. And this series has really been a quiet one. It hasn't been talked about much, uh, even though probably it's the two loudest fan bases because the barns are practically full. And that's Carolina-Nashville. And I said yesterday morning on the podcast that I thought Nashville would force a game seven. And I just... Playing in Nashville in the playoffs is not an easy building to play in. It's loud. It's uh, Nashville can be a lesser team, but with that crowd, the way they play, it's a stingy environment, and it can be difficult. And it it was early last night. You know, um, Nashville jumped out to the three one lead mid second period when Ryan Johansson scored in the power play. And I'm like, well, Nashville, it looks like we're heading back to rally Saturday uh, Saturday night for a game. But to their credit. Who started fighting back, but Carolina. Dougie Hamilton scores late in the second period. Uh, then we, uh, sorry, he scores. Uh, Sebastian Ajo scored late in the second period. Dougie Hamilton, he uh, ties the game with six minutes left uh, in in uh, the third period. We go and then going into overtime, it's kind of like the Montreal um, Toronto game where Ajo gets his fifth of the series on a, a point shot from Jacob Slavin that he tips past UC Saros, who had a fantastic playoff. And that seals the series for um, Carolina. And, you know, last night, you look at this, I mentioned depth scoring, but really for Carolina, some of their stars are on the back end. Dougie Hamilton, two points last night. This guy has had a, a career where he was shunned in Calgary, shunned in Boston for being an outsider and liking museums and just being a weird dude. Dude can flat out play hockey, and he's put himself into a Norris conversation the past number of years. Potentially, Team Canada at the Olympics. He's that. He's that damn good. Last night, Jacob Slavin, two points, two primary assists on the tying goal and the game winner. He had the shot that Aho tipped in. This guy is one of the best players in the NHL. Period. Um, to me, he's a top five defenseman. I don't care what offensive guy you want. I'll take him. I'll take Slavin. Cause I know what he's going to give me. He can play 27, 28 minutes a night and play them effectively, not just sit on the ice and get a, you know, a minus whole game. This dude's legit. And again, two points. And then we get to clutch. I mentioned that off the top. Sebastian Ajo had five goals in the series. One more than Jordan Stahl, who, who had a fantastic series as well. But it's Sebastian Ajo. He really came onto the scene in the world juniors playing for Finland 
the year they won gold, I believe it was in 2016, with Patrick Laine and Jesse Pugliardi and Ajo all in one line. Um, and he's not the best player in the NHL. He probably wouldn't be on most people's top 30 players in the NHL. But he's clutch. He scored the game-winning goal in that World Junior. He scores the game-winning goal last night. He's came up big in, in overtime games in the regular season. He scores big goals. And I kind of look at Sebastian Ajo like you do Robert Ori in, of the NBA, in the NBA. When he played for the Lakers, he was coming off the bench. He was not a star. Kobe, Shaq, they were better than Robert Ori. But when you needed a big shot, Robert Ori was there to knock it down. And he, he was never the top name that you think of. But when you needed him to do it, he did it. He took the ball. He was not afraid of the moment. And he would produce. I look at Sebastian Ajo the same way. He's there when you need him. Carolina, you could say Svechnikov's a better player than Ajo. I think Slavin, Slavin's unbelievable. But it's Ajo. He's there when you need a big goal. When you're like, we're not going back to Carolina. We're going back to Carolina for game one. We're finishing this tonight. Ajo is that clutch player. And he was on full display last night. Scores the first goal of the game and then scores the game winner in overtime on a beautiful deflection. You know, Sebastian Ajo is like Adam Vinatieri. If you don't know Adam Vinatieri in the in the NFL, he's, he's a he's a field goal kicker, recently retired this week at the age of 46. He's the best kicker in the history of the game, if you ask me. He's won four Super Bowls, three in New England, one in Indy. He kicked a game-winning field goal to beat the Los Angeles Rams in 2001, one of the biggest upsets in Super Bowl history. He makes a field goal in the snow game against Oakland, uh, a 44-yarder right through the wickets in terrible conditions. This guy made it. He's got the most points in the history of the NFL. This guy made a career out of making big kicks. And I just see Sebastian Ajo as that guy. This Carolina team has been overachieving for years. Nobody This year, they were great, and they started to come on the scene. But who had them making a run? Who had, the, who had them the last number of years getting to a conference final? Nobody. But they have players like an Ajo that just make that difference. And he's a really good player, but he's not the name that comes to mind. He's playing in Carolina. He's not, um, you know, an Austin Matthews or a Mitch Marner, better than Marner. Uh, but he's, he's that type of player. You get to a playoff and you're like, who would you rather have Aho or blank? I take Aho a lot of the time because I know what he's going to give me. He's consistent. Again, five goals will be eight points in the series. Pretty good. And when it's a game six, a must win, he scores two goals. You know, finishes the series. And, you know, that's going to set up Tampa Bay, Carolina, one of the two series we know. Um, and, you know, this is a series that I think is going to be great. Should be make for some great hockey. I mean, you got Carolina, who really surpassed Tampa Bay in the regular season. They, they dominated the head-to-head as well. So that that's something to watch. And then you got Carolina who I think it's going to help them that Nashville gave them a tough, tough run. You know, both series went six games, but the last four games of this series went to two, went to double overtime. The other two went to overtime. Carolina to battle their way through. They faced a tough goaltender in UC Saros. They got through him. So they, they know they got Vasilevsky in front of them, arguably the best goalie in the NHL. And Carolina's not going to be afraid of Tampa Bay. The Tampa Bay's got Stamkos, they got Kucherov, they got Braden Point. They have superstars, but that's not going to phase Carolina. They're going to go into that series confident that they can get the job done. You know, they, they played really good teams in the past. They've beaten Washington. They've beaten the Islanders. They've pushed the Boston Bruins. So who knows where this goes, but I, credit to, to Carolina and to guys like Sebastian Ajo who aren't superstars but he's a clutch performer when you need him to. When you need a start, when you need a great game, he's a Madison Bumgarner. Madison Bumgarner, now he's a, a guy with a 450 ERA pitching for the Arizona Diamondbacks. But when the San Francisco Giants were on their World Series, three World Series in five years, there was no better pitcher than Mad Bum. And Ajo 
is similar to me because I just think he's a clutch performer and he does it regularly. Is he the best player in the game? No. But he scored the big goal. He gets points when you need him to. And you don't see that from Sidney Crosby, from Matthews, from McDavid this late in the season. So just something to keep your eye on. I realize Carolina and Nashville probably wasn't the most watched series. But Tampa Bay, Florida was a lot of fun. I think Tampa Bay, Carolina will be just as good. So if, if you're, if you're going to tune in, just tune in to watch uh, Sebastian Otto because you never know what he's going to do. In a big moment, you can expect that he's going to produce uh, on a high level for the scrappy Carolina Hurricanes. So g- good run for Nashville too, by the way, for fighting four overtime games. You know, that could have bounced the other way. UC Saros really establishing himself as a, a number one goaltender in the NHL. So kudos to him on that. And he, he looks legit and they got to figure some stuff out. They still have a great defense core, but Ryan Johansson, Matt Duchesne, uh, they got some bad contracts up front. They, they lack goal scoring and David Poyle, if he's going to remain the GM has a lot of work in front of him because this roster is not close to competing for a Stanley cup, but they gave them a good run. So kudos to them for, for at least doing that. That brings us to tonight, where we have one game on the schedule. Uh, it's rare to see only one uh, NHL game, but it's Minnesota at Vegas Game 7. And Monday, Minnesota beat Vegas 4-2 in Vegas. Um, big game from Zach Parise. Kirill uh, Kaprizov had, got his only goal of the series, and a brilliant game from Cam Talbot. That brought us into Game 6. Scoreless after two periods, Fleury and Talbot both look really sharp. And then Ryan Hartman scores about four minutes into the period. Kevin Fiala scores on a power play after a failed challenge by Vegas. They get an empty netter. And Minnesota uh, won the game 3-0 following an empty netter. So tonight, it's a game seven. And who you never know with a game seven. We look at, at this series. Vegas is the better team. Clearly. You know, they, they, they're right there with Colorado finished two points behind them. Minnesota was in it all year. They gave Vegas fits all year, but Vegas is a stronger team. They got Mark Stone. They signed Alex Petrangelo. They still have Riley Smith, Marcia So, William Carlson. A big loss for Vegas in the series has been Max Pacioretty. He has not played a game. Um, undisclosed injury, but he was their top goal scorer. And they miss that. They miss having that creative piece that can score off the wing whenever you need him to. They're also missing Ryan Reeves and Braden McNabb, two of their heavier players. They're both on the COVID protocol list. It's unsure if they're going to be activated off, if they were in close contact, or if it was a false positive. So we're waiting word on that for for their status for tonight's game. But for Minnesota, you look at how they got here. Come back from 3-1 down. I thought it was over Monday. I thought it would be – I thought, okay, well, it's 3-1. Vegas got all the momentum. And foolish, I fell into my own trap. I don't believe in game-to-game momentum. Every game is a blank slate. And again, you you can be up 3-1. You can be up, uh, th- you can be 3-3. Winning game six is not guarantee you're going to win game seven just because you have the momentum. I, I don't buy that. And, but for Minnesota, the re- they don't have, you know, Kaprizov has been okay in this series. It's his first playoff series. And he's still working his way through it. We look at really what helped them. Their captain, Jared Spurgeon. He's got four points. Uh, their defense has, has helped their play a ton. We've seen Suter um, chip in, Matt Dumba. Uh, so Kalen Addison got up his first playoff point in game six. So they get they get some help from the back end. Then you got guys like Ryan Hartman, who's the third, fourth line player. He's a heavy guy, hits everything that moves, uh, sol- really a solid defensively. He's got two goals in this series. Your, uh, Marcus Foligno has two points in this series. He's he's worked his way through it. He's a gritty guy, a leader of this team who is not afraid to drop the gloves, but also, you know, he's a, he's a guy that, that will engage and he's gritty. So he, I, I like him. Then you got Erickson Eck. Yo, Erickson Eck, he's got two goals in this series. So it's, it hasn't been the stars. You know, Kevin Fiala's only got two points. They both came in game six. He's a guy that can create offensively. But they're also their big point is Cam Talbot. You know, I looked at Minnesota and I said, I really like their roster at the beginning of the year. You know, I think Bill Guerin's building a strong team here. But I said, eh, Cam Talbot is your starting goalie. It didn't work out for him in New York. 
didn't work out for him in Edmonton, didn't work out for him in Calgary. And I'm like, okay, well, Minnesota, okay, this is the last spot where Devin Dubnik, it worked for a while, then it failed. And I said, well, Cam Talbot's a 30, mid 30s. You signed him to like a three year deal. And, you know, he'll, he'll be a good enough goalie just to make the playoffs and then get disposed of pretty easy. But he's fought that narrative. And he's, you know, competing against 36 year old Marc Andre Fleury. Who's the third? Who has the third most wins in the history of the uh, history of the league? But he he's gone toe to toe with him. Cam Talbot has two shutouts in this series, including Game Six. Um, he's made twenty three saves in Game Six. Always solid in the right position. Stymied some really good players. Mark Stone's kind of had to jump on him, but other than that, he's been so good for Minnesota this whole season. You know, Kakinen looked at the start of the year he might take the starting job. But the back half of the year, Talbot took the net and he hasn't given it up. And for Minnesota coming into tonight, they have no pressure. I'm sure internally, of course they do. They want to move on. They want to win a Stanley Cup. But when it comes to narrative, when it comes to expectations, Minnesota has no pressure to win tonight. If they lose tonight, it's it's expected. Minnesota's not as good a team as Vegas. They go out, they brought the series to seven. That's a valiant effort, you know, good on many. Now on the flip side, you got Vegas. They have so much pressure tonight. And I wrote down a few names just, just for fun. And I look at the, the pressure meter. Marc-Andre Fleury, you're 36 years old. You still have a number of years in your contract, but... Vegas wanted to move him last offseason. He doesn't have a full no move, but you're 36. You've won one goalie really as a starting goaltender. So you have three on your resume, but two were as, as Matt Murray's backup. I'm sure he'd love to win another one as a starter to prove to people yeah, I went first overall. I had a great career. I won a cup with an expansion franchise. I'm the man. Pittsburgh gave up to me. They were stupid to do it. And you know what? Joke's on them because I'm going to have the last laugh here. So I don't doubt that one from Marc-Andre Fleury. Um, Mark Stone, you know, you're the new captain. You have a long-term deal in Vegas, but you came there to win. You could lose in the first round in Ottawa. You could have stayed there, but you came to Vegas to win and you don't want to bow out in the first round where you had expectations. You want to have your shot against Colorado. I think you feel good about that matchup. I think it'll be a great series, but losing in the first round, for a guy like Mark Stone as a leader, that's not going to sit well and that's not going to play well in that locker room. Alex Petrangelo. Alex Petrangelo, whether St. Louis pushed him out or not, they gave him an offer. He left St. Louis. And, you know, St. Louis was out in the first round, swept. But if Petrangelo loses tonight, if Vegas loses tonight, that means Petrangelo goes out in the first round. And I don't care if it's a sweep seven games, you're out at the same time. You're both going to be golfing. So that means that you left St. Louis where you were the captain. You had a stable environment. You knew the team. You knew Doug Armstrong, the coaching staff, and you had the same result going to a team where you thought you would win a Stanley Cup. That's tough in your first year with the franchise. Um, and for, for an elite defenseman, you have your, the decor is loaded on this team. The Probably the best built team. Uh, that that's You can't go out. I also got Peter DeBoer. I think Peter DeBoer is a really head coach. I think he, a lot of people kind of dislike him now because they took Gerard's Gallant, Gerard Gallant's job, you know, Canadians anyway, which, um, you know, I, Peter DeBoer has just as much acclaim as Gerard Gallant does. Uh, he's got, he's been to two Stanley cup finals. Gerard Gallant's only been to one last time I checked. Uh, and, you know, he took, it's not like he, he took San Jose to a Stanley Cup final. He took New Jersey. New Jersey's not exactly a franchise that's uh, in the past decade that's had a ton of success. 2012, he brought a New Jersey team that was undermanned and underskilled to a Stanley Cup final. But Vegas fires coaches. They fire people like crazy. They trade away veterans. You lose in the first round. Maybe that owner gets crazy, George McPhee, and they, they look elsewhere. Or maybe, uh, and you just want your job status to be safe. And with Vegas for Peter DeBoer, you want to win. You, you don't want to feel bad about where you are. And also feeling the pressure tonight, I got to put George McPhee on the list because as the president, 
Kelly McCrimmon as a GM, your salary cap is so tight. Players are going to have to leave this roster. Max Pacioretty likely won't be a Vegas Golden Knight next year, and he was your top goal scorer. This team's not going to be as good. It's going to be hard for it to be as good as it was this year. So losing this year in the first round, then having to offload players, kind of retool and bring back a roster that's you know less talented, is not a good is not a good picture. That's tough to sell, and it's tough as an organization to say, "Damn it, we could have had it. You know, we should have won this year, but we didn't." And you don't want to play that "what if" game. So tonight's must see TV. It's the only game in the docket, ten o'clock, Minnesota at Vegas, Game Seven. I think the start for both teams is pivotal. Minnesota to get a lead early is big. Score the first goal of the game. And I also think I think whoever scores the first goal of the game will win it. Uh, we've seen Minnesota give up leads, but in game six, Cam Talbot just shut the door. They played solid defensively. I think they need to do that. You know, you look at Toronto, Montreal. Like Montreal, they're not a team that's going to be able to come back from 2-3 down. Montreal, uh, Toronto can. But Minnesota needs to get a lead if they're going to win this game. For Vegas, Play your game, you know, get some bodies in front of Talbot. Make it difficult for him to see the puck. And, you know, get game six, get more than 23 shots. That's that's not enough. Get It needs to be 35-plus tonight on Talbot. Get Mark Stone, the heavy forwards, force some turnovers, and you get to the dirty areas and hope for the best. But for Minnesota, this is a huge platform game for Kapril Kaprizov. If he can have a game seven performance where they upset the Vegas Golden Knights and they head into the series starting Sunday against Colorado. Not only would he win rookie of the year, but he'd also make a statement in his first postseason in the NHL. So some storylines on both sides, but I see this as a massive pressure game for Vegas. And with a loss, it would be the most deflating loss other than, you know, obviously stealing that final game five in the history of the franchise. So a couple years in, but um, th- this team is facing some pressure right away because they're built to win now, and Minnesota is just not as good. So we'll see what, what comes of it. Um, yeah. Tomorrow night, we'll see game one of the second round. So we're going to see Toronto-Montreal game six of the first round. And then at 9 o'clock tomorrow night, we'll see Islanders at Bruins uh, game one of round two. So um, that's starting. They've also announced that Colorado and the winner of Vegas-Minnesota will play Sunday evening at 9 o'clock. Tampa Bay, Carolina has not been, has not been announced yet. The game one of that series, obviously Winnipeg still awaiting the winner of Toronto, Winnipeg. So, but the second round will start tomorrow uh, at, at nine o'clock Toronto, Montreal will play at eight 30. Don't love that. Uh, I wish it was, uh, should have thrown Toronto in the afternoon. Yeah. I would have loved to seen a Toronto um, Montreal, like four o'clock start local Montreal. That would be great. Uh, I'm sure the, Nobody agrees with me when it comes to the TV people, but I like to see some Leaf fans be a little PO that they got to take away from the Saturday afternoon to watch a to watch an afternoon game. But nevertheless, 8.30, 9 o'clock tomorrow night, we'll have a double dose of um, playoff hockey, which be able to flip back and forth is never a bad thing. So that um, NBC and Sportsnet both getting what they want, where they get the Bruins primetime Saturday night, and then obviously uh, Canada gets their – their Maple Leafs and, and Habs game um, half an hour before that. Um, so that, that's really the NHL update. Uh, obviously, uh, the second round starting, some good hockey last night, and we'll, we'll wait for it this weekend as well because we got Boston who hasn't played since Sunday. Colorado hasn't played since Sunday, so we'll see how they can react. Islanders haven't played since Wednesday, Tampa last night, so. Uh, there'll, there'll be some fresh and some a uh, little bit cold legs. So we'll see how those series kick off as well. Pivoting to the NBA. Um, I just wanted to comment yesterday. I talked about fan interaction about, you know, Russell Westbrook got a bucket of popcorn dumped on his head by a fan. Then it took about four security guards to not let Russ go and just beat the shit out of that fan, which I wish they would have, but obviously I know why they didn't because that's, you know, if you remember malice at the palace, at the old Palace of Auburn Hills in Detroit, where Meta World Peace and a number of Detroit Pistons went to the crowd, and beat the shit out of some people. That's that was a long time ago. Uh, I believe that was in 2004, and obviously some things have changed since then. But yeah, I mean, some fans deserve a beating. 
but I, I didn't hear this till after, but Trey Young and this video, he was spit on at the Knicks game. He was inbounding the ball. Some a fan in the second row spit over a woman onto Trey Young. And you know, the Knicks, to their credit, have banned the guy for life. He can't even go to a concert at Madison Square Garden anymore, which is the correct thing to do. If you spit on another human being, I don't know how you can show less class. Spitting on somebody, I think is like I think when you look at just racial issues, like saying give, saying to a black person the N word is never acceptable. And if you get your ass beat because you said it, guess what? You deserved it. It's like uh, being in the wild and then um, you know pretending to shoot a gun at a lion, and then the lion comes in and chews you the hell up. I don't care if you're a poacher and you get killed by a lion, you get no sympathy from me. I'm an animal lover, uh, but. For, for white people, I really know the derogatory term that we could use for, for white people. Obviously, there's um, when it comes to a man, women, you can definitely say some um, hurtful things. But if you spit on another human being, that is the lowest you could do, to, in my opinion, to somebody. If somebody spit on me, I would lose it. And Trey Young just he laughed it off. I would never have been that gracious. And I'm glad, you know, Russell Westbrook. If he got spit on, he would have been irate. And, but these fans should not be allowed back in ever. Yeah, you pay for a seat, but you don't get to dump popcorn on somebody. You don't get to spit on another human. When you go to work, you don't have somebody come and spit on you when you, you drop something on the floor or you miss a shot. And I, I just wanted to touch on that incident because I didn't get to yesterday, but I just find that disgusting. You know, just sit your ass, enjoy the game. You can yell F you, whatever. Spike Lee and Reggie Miller did it forever. But it was all in fun, really. It wasn't Spike throwing popcorn at Reggie and then, you know, fists start flying. It, it was just those Spike loving his Knicks, Reggie being Indiana Pacer and saying, guess what, Spike? I'm going to kick your team's ass again tonight. And that was that was good. That was good fan interaction. This just, this is not, this is not good fan interaction. But the NBA last said we got back to the action on the court and a series I thought would be really intriguing and really close after last year's conference final or sorry, uh, second round series was Milwaukee and Miami. And it hasn't been game one went to the wire overtime. Chris Middleton made a shot at the buzzer to win that since then the heat have had nothing Monday. They lose a 34 point game on the road. Then they, I think game three, okay, they're back home. They can get back in the series. No, they lose by 29 last night at home. Jimmy Butler has been a no-show. He can't shoot. He's not assist. He's not defending. Tyler Hero, who was great in the bubble last year, shooting less than 23% from three. Duncan Robinson's cold from uh, downtown. Bam doesn't looks hurt to me. He's been getting demolished by uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo. And you know Giannis been getting rebounds, assisting the ball, but offensively he hasn't been that great. But you're just seeing them score the ball. PJ Tucker, you got uh, uh, Drew Holiday has been has been really good. Um, Chris Middleton's getting his points. They're getting to the free throw line, but it's just been a no show of a series. Game four Saturday afternoon. I wouldn't be surprised if it's over. You got Milwaukee, who's dominating, and then in their same bracket, who they'll meet in the second round is the Brooklyn Boston series, where we'll see that game three tonight live from the Garden, and. Brooklyn just, I mean, they're with the big three, they look unstoppable, but to me, that series, they're going to meet in the second round. I don't think anything big is going to change. I wouldn't be surprised if both series are a sweep that that's, that's the conference final before the conference final. Cause Milwaukee is playing better basketball right now than the Philadelphia 76ers. 76ers will play. They're going to beat the wizards. They'll play the winner of Knicks Hawks, which I think will go seven, but if the 76ers get through that team, I, I don't think there's as big a threat as Milwaukee. I think Milwaukee in the East is the biggest threat to the Brooklyn Nets for a couple of reasons. Brooklyn is not the best defensive team, and especially when it's, when you get to guard Giannis or guard Biggs. They, they have, DeAndre Jordan cannot guard Giannis for, for a period of time. He's not athletic enough, and, and Giannis can get to the paint and make life difficult, and they play small because you got Joe Harris, you got Durant, Kyrie Irving, James Hart all on the floor at the same time. And that's going to make it tough. 
if you get PJ Tucker in there too, he's not exactly a slasher in the paint, but you got really good three point shooters holiday. You got, like I mentioned, PJ Tucker, um, off the bench, George Hill is a guy who in the playoffs seems to find a stroke from three. So I think Milwaukee's got the most talent to make it a series. I would still favor Brooklyn, but I like Milwaukee's look better in this first round than the past two playoffs combined where they were the number one seed. And maybe it's because they don't have as much pressure and they're just playing more freely. But I, I like this, the, the look of their team so much better. They don't look like the frail team that was, you know, just folding before they even got into the series. And, um, you know, Brooklyn, like I said, they go game three tonight. Kyrie Irving's return to the garden where I'm sure he'll be looking to put on a show. But, you know, Boston's without Jalen Brown for the entire playoffs. Jason Tatum didn't have a great game too. And maybe uh, Boston gets one at home, but uh, Brooklyn just looks like a juggernaut right now. Boston's undermanned and they can't really do anything with, with the with the Nets, especially with, you know, a role player like Joe Harris who shot seven for 10 from three point range in game two, which is just, you know, when, when a role player is shooting seven for, for 10 from three, you're not winning the game more often than not. Um, also last night we saw Lakers Suns, um, and that series is over to me. Uh, Chris Paul was hurt in game one. They survived game one, uh, cause he had played most of the first half and they injured his shoulder. Now we see him, he can only play 25 minutes a night. He's getting about six points, six assists, but he can't shoot. His passing ability is um, really hindered. He's a really, he's a strong defender for a small guy. He can't defend anybody. And, you know, last night in the second half, he didn't play. And Monty Williams is forced to go to the other guys like Artis Payne and Cam Johnson. They got, and, you know, to the Lakers credit, a big reason why they won the championship last year is their defensive play. They got some good def- wing defenders. Contavious Caldwell-Pope, his three-point shot is not going down right now, but he can defend. He's been Ding up Kevin Booker, kept him to 19 points last night. That's a huge victory. Kyle Kuzma stuffed up his defensive play. He's a guy who's been criticized a ton for his lack of defensive ability. He's done well. Um, you know, to his DeAndre Ayton, a former first row, I think he's had a great series. So he's averaging a double-double for the series, 22-11 and 11 last night. But we're seeing guys, Artis Payne, Johnson, these guys aren't household names. Without Chris Paul, he's this, you know, the, the stir that's, uh, that stirs the drink, the straw that stirs the drink, sorry. And he, without him, they're less creative. They don't have as much flow in their offense. And they're relying on Devin Booker to be the point guard and shooting guard. He can't do both. And with tough defenses, they're doubling him. They're making life very difficult. It's creating turnovers. And, you know, they could only score 93 points last night. And some of that is the Lakers defense, but also it's without Chris Paul distributing the ball because he's on the floor. He's the floor general. He's dribbling it up the floor. He's finding open guys for, you know, open shots. And also Jay Crowder didn't have a shot last night. Their bench was cold, but you got Anthony Davis go for 34 and 10. LeBron had 21, six rebounds, nine assists. LeBron hasn't been great in this series, but it hasn't had to be last night. You know, one one hundred nine ninety three. Um, you know, Dennis Schroeder who dropped twenty points. Um, their bench. It's just the Lakers have more firepower, and without Chris Paul, it's literally like the Suns are playing with one arm because Aiton can can do only do so much, but he needs somebody to give him the ball. He's not going to be a guy that's going to be dribbling up the floor. He's a guy that needs to give him the ball in the paint. He can work his way through it go up against Andre Drummond, see what he can do. I think he's been better than Drummond in the series, but again, he's by himself. So I wouldn't be surprised. The Lakers' Suns play Sunday afternoon, then they play Tuesday. Don't be surprised if you're not coming back to LA. Because without Chris Paul, I think the Lakers will get through the series rather quickly, and I'm sure that's something they want to do. Because the less games you play now, then you're more rested, you're ready, they're going to play the winner of the Denver Portland series. That's two one. And I could see that one going very deep. Uh, so for LeBron, the Lakers are getting healthier. They're Anthony Davis back-to-back really strong games. That's a positive sign. And for the Suns, who finished in the second seed, they're beat up right now. They're undermanned. And I just don't think they have the firepower to play with the Lakers. And I suspect, I think that series is over and I think it'll be done by, in five games. Um, also, last night in the NBA, Denver beat Portland 121-15. They go on the road, get a win in Portland. 
Portland won game one. They had all the momentum, but Nikola Jokic, who is going to be the MVP of the league, it, you know, is showing it. He 36 points, 11 rebounds last night, including a huge bucket with about one, 1.5 seconds left to give them that five point lead after a missed free throw, putting the game on ice. And, you know, they got contributions, you know, Campazo has been great with Jamal Murray. We see a strong game from, you know, the likes of Aaron Gordon and, you know, their bench play has been solid. But last night you could really look at Portland losing because of Damian Lillard. He shot five for 16 from three, uh, 15 for, uh, I think it was uh, 12 for 31 from the floor. So he didn't shoot the ball well, and he needs to be better. And what, what's difficult for Portland right now is who's going to guard Jokic. Nurkic is not athletic enough. Uh, Cantor is a great offensive guy, great getting offensive boards, being there. But he's one of the worst big man defenders in the league. So he couldn't do anything against Jokic. He's also not, not athletic enough. So... But it, it's to Denver's credit, if they can get through this, win this series, that would be a massive accomplishment for them because they, they are without Jamal Murray. They're without an all-star on their roster. Yeah, they have the MVP likely in, in Nikola Jokic, but to not have their ball handler, their floor general, and to get past the Portland team would be a massive, just to win this series would be a massive accomplishment. Now they're in the same bracket as the Lakers. So they'd likely, they're, face the Lakers likely just based on my, you know, past analysis of a minute ago. So they played in the conference final last year with Jamal Murray. But I think that's another matchup where the Lakers will be licking their chops saying we got a wounded animal here and let's take advantage of it. Uh, they got, they're missing one half of their wing and let's move on and get through this series quickly. So for the West being wide open, it's starting to seem less and less. I think Portland would be a tougher matchup for the Lakers, even without, really good defensive bigs, but with the shooting that Portland has with uh, Damian Lillard, CJ McCollum, Carmelo Anthony uh, on a regular basis, I think that would be a tougher matchup for, for the Lakers in the second round, but we'll see what happens. I think that series has a long way to go. I think six or seven games in that series for me, uh, where game four Saturday afternoon, I think Portland will win that one. Then it becomes a best of three where two of the games are in Denver. So we'll, we'll see what happens there. But a, a tight, tight, tight matchup. Tonight in the NBA, uh, we, we got three games. We got Knicks-Hawks, uh, game three from Atlanta. So that's a 1-1 series. Both games come down to the wire. We got Brooklyn at Boston at 9.30. And then we got the Los Angeles Clippers, who have all the pressure in the world tonight, are heading to Dallas. Game three, must win for them. No team has ever come back from an 0-3 deficit in the NBA. And especially this team with how fragile it is being the Clippers. They need to win tonight, but, you know, loaded weekend of NBA basketball with four games Saturday, four games Sunday. So all afternoon, uh, that, that's a lot of fun. And you get hockey at night. And so it should, should be a lot of fun. The French open also starts this weekend, Sunday morning from Roland Garros. So uh, some tennis coming your way. Hopefully we could see some uh, Dennis Shapovalov had to pull out of the tournament. Bianca and may still have to pull out of the tournament because she's been dealing with some injuries. That's not, Go figure there. That seems to be every other day for her. But uh, you'll see Rafa Nadal, Roger Federer is going to play at the French. Uh, so he's going to make his return. So uh, Novak Djokovic wants, you know, everybody's going to try to dethrone Rafa. I don't like his their chances of doing it. Zvera beat him a few few weeks ago on clay. But, um, you know, he's unbeatable at Roland Garros. He's only lost twice. He's won the tournament 13 times. So just an incredible feat, and uh, he can actually take the lead in Grand Slam titles if he wins at Roland Garros this year. Um, you know, the just touch on baseball quickly. The Los Angeles Dodgers started the year thirteen and four. They went then they went through a stretch where they went four and fourteen, and this is just the stretch stretches of baseball one sixty two. They've won thirteen of the last fifteen. Uh, they've been dominant. You see, I mean, you look at the staff: Kershaw, Bueller. Trevor Bauer, uh, it, Julio Arias, it's hard to beat that, that lineup. They're starting to get healthier. Max Muncy's back playing first base. Bellinger's due back soon. Um, we're seeing Justin Turner, who they decided to bring back. He's been fantastic this year at third, you know, hitting a lot of home runs, being a, a run producer. And, you know, they won four straight versus San Francisco, who they played this weekend in a four-game set. They beat them last night 4-3. They beat them last weekend all three games. 
So, you know, they're starting to creep up. They've passed San Francisco. We got the Padres who dropped a game to Milwaukee yesterday in extras. But it's going to be a tight race all year with San Francisco, with with, with uh, San Diego, with L.A. All three teams will be fighting for a playoff spot. And obviously in, in San Diego, you're still seeing the play of Fernando Tatis Jr., where this, this guy's just electric. Uh, he's the funnest player to watch in baseball for me, bar none. And, you know, his fielding can use some work, but when he's got the bat in his hands, there's not a player in the game that makes you want to sit in the couch and watch a full game of baseball more than Fernando Tatis Jr. And, you know, a guy who can maybe rival him just on production is, you know, the Blue Jays' uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. He's got 16 home runs on the year, which leads Major League Baseball. Uh, he's gotten into way better shape. He's got hitting for average, playing strong first base. Blue Jays are, are 24 and 24, 500, still trailing the Rays. But, you know, it's not on him that their pitching depth is weak. Uh, he's done everything they've asked for this year, driving in runs, getting in better shape, being an everyday player that they can rely on. And, you know, what's what's doing for him is proving to the league that he can be a phenom that he was brought in to be. And also that, you know, they're going to have to pay him a good sum of money here soon. We see teams do it. Tatis Jr. got $340 million. Uh, we talked about, you know, Machado and Harper and these contracts for guys. Well, Vladdy's young. He's only 20, 21 years old. They get these contracts young. Ron Racuna Jr. signed 10 years, hundred million, the biggest bargain contract in baseball. And, you know, for Vladdy, he keeps just pushing past that number. And for the Blue Jays brass, they're going to have to deal with this eventually where they have to say, how much is this guy worth? And how much are we willing to spend on him? And, you know, there's tough decisions because you got him, you got a guy like Bo Bichette who's hit two home runs yesterday. I think there's still a wait and see approach with Bo just because I think at shortstop, it's such an important fielding position. I don't think he's been that great this year. Uh, just to be honest, I think he's still leaving something to be desired on the field. But you know, this obviously it's tough with NBA playoffs with NHL playoffs right now. But I do try to try to sneak in a baseball game every now and then. You know, you see it, like the play from Javi Baez yesterday. You know, there, there's still going to be stuff, and we'll get into baseball more if we get into the summer where it'll be baseball, golf, tennis, heavy coverage. But, you know, when you see Alex Manoa get called up for the Jays and he goes six innings in his first start, you got to take note of that. And they're just interesting storylines across baseball. But, you know, AL East and the NL West right now are the two most interesting divisions. And the NL East is interesting too because a lot of teams are under 500, but you got the Mets battling, you got the Marlins starting to find their game. Nationals are struggling. Do the Nationals decide to trade Max Scherzer at the trade deadline? Boy, that would be interesting. Uh, he's been there for a long time since leaving from Detroit, but they seem to be going in a direction where maybe they could be reloading, hoping for the future. And he's still got a ton of pride. He still pitches every time he's out there with such, you know, just emotion and like you, he throws everything he has in every pitch and a team like the blue Jays would love to pick up a guy like Max Scherzer who's won a world series, who's won multiple Cy Youngs and is one of the best pitchers in all of baseball. So just something to keep your eye on. But uh, when it comes, when it comes to baseball, we'll, we'll get into it. And I like to keep everything uh, in perspective. Um, and finally for today, uh, just a little golf update, you know, the Charles Schwab challenge, um, I'll mention the leaderboard, but I love this quote yesterday. Phil Mickelson is playing in this tournament and clearly he signed up for this tournament before the PGA championship. Cause you see a lot of guys who win a major, if they're scheduled to play the next week, they pull out of it. And Phil didn't, of course, that's just Phil. And, you know, first round he shoots three over, not a good day. You know, maybe he'll miss the cut at this tournament at his age. That's just how it works after he wins a major, but he gets on the podium and he says, yeah, I suck today. I shot three over, but I won the PGA. So, you know, I love that because he's right. Like, yeah, this is some rinky dink tournament. Who gives a crap? I just won the PGA championship at age 50. Yeah. The Charles Schwab, yeah, I might miss the cut and maybe Sergio Garcia or Jordan Spieth at, at seven under will win it. Or the Canadian Adam Hadwin at four under, maybe he can make a run this week, but I just won the PGA championship, one of the four majors this year. Screw you, Charles Schwab. You know, somebody else can go win that little trophy while I'm counting my millions and, you know, getting geared up for the match part two, where he'll be paired with Tom Brady 
where he's going to play Bryson DeChambeau and Aaron Rodgers on July 6th on TNT. So life's just great for Phil right now. He's won the PGA. He's going to be at the U.S. Open at Torrey Pines. He's got five years of of majors that he can play in after winning the PGA. He's got money in the bank. He looks great, just fit, and just, you know, doing his thing. So I love the quote. I mean, I just said Jordan Spieth, Sergio Garcia lead the tournament at seven under. They're tied to the lead. Eric Compton, uh, two shots behind them, shooting five under yesterday. So we'll keep you updated on that this weekend. But um, likely going to do some podcasting this weekend with, with the games. Uh, talk about the, the Toronto game, keep a little second round preview. So there'll be some more content coming this weekend. But hope you guys all enjoy the games this weekend. A lot of great sports to watch. So try to try to stay focused and enjoy it all. But um, as always, take care, keep healthy, and uh, we'll talk soon.